The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. You know, it's exciting. Again, I hear from folks, and maybe you hear about this sometimes, when people find out that you've come down and you've retired or relocated to, to Hilton Head and Bluffton area, uh, they think that you've sort of, you've gone to sort of incubate yourself. And to hide away. And what I'm finding is there's a lot of exciting things going on. And this is a hub. Uh, To know that we can, through partnership, be affecting students uh, at the University of Vermont and all around New England uh, through relationship that we have with a family here, the Qualies. That the Mullins, Jonathan Mullen and his family, and Jonathan's brother, Jeremy, is the Reformed University pastor at Harvard. Another one of those small, little, not-so-smart schools up there that has an influence maybe on world leaders and... Uh, and all, but he's there, and we are connected with them. And through the files, and their son and daughter being over in Tokyo and affecting a center of Asian thought and of culture uh, there, and, and all the other missionaries and ministries that we're partnered with. Guys, what we're doing here has eternal implications and has worldwide implications. So I want to encourage you in that. We're not just some little group of folks who get together every week for the family reunion. Uh, We come together every week to celebrate a God and then to go out into the world uh, and to see him do great and awesome things. And with that in mind, what that takes from us, what that takes from us collectively uh, as a body of believers called the church, and what that takes from us individually uh, as individual persons going out into our spheres of influence, where we live, where we work, where we play, it takes commitment. It takes deep resolve and commitment to go out in Christ's name. It doesn't take any commitment just to go out. But it it takes incredible amounts of commitment uh, and resolve to go out in Christ's name and to live out what our vision says and what our mission statement says, to live missional lives, intentionally missional. Meaning this, we want to go out and live in a way that promotes and proclaims the mission of Jesus Christ, which is to expand uh, the kingdom of God within the world, to see others come uh, and to fall in love with our Savior, uh, and uh, to, to see them come into a deeper relationship with Him, to have a deep and profound commitment to the Word and the truth of God. It's hard in this world to stand on the Word of God, because people look at you like you're odd. I've got friends that I keep in touch with from different facets of my life, and there's a couple of them that are incredibly antagonistic in their atheism and agnosticism, and they, they bang on me. You still believe that that Bible is actually the word of some divine being that's out there that created this world and has some purpose in it? Bill, I thought more of you. Literally, that's what they say to me regularly. And so we have to have resolve and commitment to say, no, I truly believe the word of God is truth and that we are going to go out into the world with both love and joy uh, to care for people in that way and really develop this community of believers here where we want to share our lives openly with one another. And so I thought it reasonable this morning as we're coming to the end of another year uh, together and beginning 2014 that we look at this idea of commitment and resolution, this idea of what does it mean to fully commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. 
And I realize there's probably three audiences that are here today. One audience, or maybe some of you who are here uh, who are not Christians, that you're not church, that you're tipping your toe, maybe you're tipping back in. You've been burned and you've been overwhelmed by some of the, the background of your life growing up in church, and you're now coming to a place where you want to investigate again. For some of you, maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. You've been around. You know the truths, but you're not very committed to it. You're just sort of wishy-washy. You're tired, maybe, uh, of the way life ebbs and flows and the inconsistencies that you see even within yourself. Uh, and you, you want to know, can I? Is God worthy enough? Is he true enough? Is he enough for me to fully throw myself at and invest myself in? And the third audience would be those of you who are fully committed to Christ. That you are walking as consistently as we can in this life. That means we make mistakes. Uh, That means we fail. But at least we're walking committed to Christ and trying to live consistently for him. So I realize there's three audiences uh, that I'm talking to this morning. And I think there's a wonderful passage. It is uh, well known and it is well used in this area of commitment uh, and of resolution. And it comes from the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 28. Because you see, Joshua was a leader within the church. He was the heir to uh, leading Israel after Moses had died. That he was now going to take the people of Israel uh, and from their wanderings within the desert. A great illustration. Uh, what a, uh, there's a great old sermon, and you can look it up, Google it. It's called Honey from the Rock. And in that, it talks about in the desert, everything else is stripped away, as John was saying. And what you find, though, so often in the desert is a rock, is Christ. And in that rock, you so often find water or honey. And it surprises you that God strips away everything else and reminds us that this world and this life is not what we were designed to be, uh, to, to satisfy our needs, but only Christ is. And so the people have been wandering in this desert, and now they were about to enter into the promised land, and Joshua comes, uh, and he's brought them in, and he's leading them in, and now he's challenging them for a commitment. They've already seen God do incredible things, walls falling down in front of them, people fleeing in their path, Uh, the land of milk and honey uh, that they had been promised and that their their parents and grandparents had been telling them about. They were now standing there in the land, in Shechem, uh, in this place, of uh, this holy place. And he begins to talk to them about commitment and about resolution and about what are you living for. And so I think that's important for us. Because as we look again, both personally and collectively, at 2014... We could look back at 2013 and say, it's been a pretty good year. And it has been a good year, I think. At least from my vantage point, we've had a really good year around here. Uh, God is doing some great things. We hear stories of lives being transformed. We see uh, more people coming and being a part of our fellowship and our family. Uh, We see people growing under the teaching of the Word of God and our children encouraged and growing up uh, and our staff growing and and the, the footprint being laid for the future. But what we're about to step into is going to be challenging, and it's going to take that resolve. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear uh, of our building expansion and of renovations and of staff changes and of of ministry opportunities that we have that are really going to challenge us. And we're going to need to see God do uh, great things. So it's going to begin, though, with each of us hearing these words from God and then asking, 
what am I going to do? So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, the, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, "Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods." But it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. They said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, This stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against us, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, that it is true that it is breathed from you and inspired by you, that we can trust it, that it interprets this world and our lives for us and leads us in the way everlasting. God, would you add now your blessing to this time? We thank you for the privilege of being here today, for the privilege of being called to be your sons and daughters, to follow you, to raise your banner and to run under it, and to live in victory in light of the victory that we have in Christ. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So the commitments that we are talking about today, a commitment to Christ, I'm going to point out to you, are several things. One, it is a reasoned commitment. It's a reasoned commitment. It is a thoughtful commitment that you would be making and that you are making to the Lord It is an exclusive commitment. It is a commitment that has implications to it uh, and is exclusive in its very nature. That it is a commitment that we should not take lightly. And finally, 
It's a commitment that we are going to break. So what do we do when we break it? So the first part, it is a reasoned commitment. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. Again, as we've been together now a year and a half or so, what do we ask when we come to the Bible and we see a therefore? What is it we're supposed to ask as good Bible students? And if you're new, I'm going to teach you this today. What do you see? When you see the word therefore, what do you ask of the therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Why is it there? Now, therefore. And what you would have to do if you're a good Bible student, you would go, oh, verses 1 to 13. That's the therefore. And if you went back, and we're not going to read them now, and you looked at verse 1 through 13, what you would see is a picture and a regaling of the historic, redemptive history of Israel. It is God's absolute faithfulness to Israel where he said, now look at this Lord God, Yahweh, the the sacred word uh, of uh, name of God. Look at how he took Abraham and he brought Abraham out and he led Abraham into faithfulness and he led him and all of his children and his descendants and some went into the mountain area and some went into the valley and then as he led them and all of a sudden they ended up in in Egypt and God was faithful to them in Egypt and he destroyed the leaders and the rulers and the gods of Egypt and he has led you so faithfully out because God has done all of these things because God has led faithfully with incredible grace and he has pursued you in his passion that he has loved you in this way now therefore do you see it's a reasoned commitment that he's asking you to make he's saying would you for a moment consider a few things. Now again, back to the audiences that are here today. I would say to you, if you are a non-Christian, if you are not a believer and you are so welcome in our church, I hope that you feel that way. I'm not going to beat you over the head and we're not going to browbeat you and and tell you that what you do and how you live is all wrong. What I want to do today and every day and what we want to do as a collective body is to present to you the beauty of Christ and let it challenge you. To present to you the truth of the world around us as we see it through scripture and allow it to convict you. And so my challenge to you today is the commitments that you are making. Have you fully reasoned them? Have you looked around the world and does it make sense within a secular mindset? Does it make sense within a pagan worldview? Does it make sense to you? Consider for a moment the commitments that you're making. For all of us make faith commitments, don't we? Back to the simplest illustration that we have. You're sitting in a chair, correct? What faith assumption did you make about that chair? That it can manage your weight. You may not be as confident as the person next to you about their weight, but you're confident that it can handle your weight. And so you made a faith assumption. And so my challenge to you, if you're investigating the Christian faith, look at its faith assumptions. Look at what it presents. Study it. I'm amazed how often I talk to people who say, I don't believe what you believe. Oh, you're one of those Christians. Oh, and then they find out that I'm a Presbyterian. Like, you're one of those, those Christians. And then they find out what kind of Presbyterian I am. They go, oh, you're, oh, wow, I don't even think I have anything in common with you. And I say, well, have you read anything that I've read? Well, what do you mean? I remember talking to a friend of mine. We were shooting pool one night. This was years and years ago. He was a Duke grad. He was top of his class in my high school and top of his class at Duke. He's now out in the Northwest. And he said, Bill, I don't understand all this change in your life. I don't understand how it is that you can follow Jesus. I don't believe any of that. And I said, have you read the Bible? 
He said, well, no. I said, well, why don't you read the Bible, and then we can at least have an intelligent conversation about whether we believe the same things or whether you agree or disagree with what I say I believe. He called me 48 hours later. Okay, I read it. Can we talk now? (laughs) It's like, absolutely, we can talk now. And so I, I guess the challenge is study the Christian faith. Study the Bible. Study works about the Bible. Go back historically and read men uh, like Jonathan Edwards and C.S. Lewis and, uh, and Francis Schaeffer or even in the more uh, contemporary world, some of the, uh, the works that are out there to come alongside and help you understand the Christian faith. But it's a reasoned faith. We're not asking you to take this blind leap of faith like Kierkegaard and just go, but, but to take a reasoned view and to come in. If you're one who is in that audience of sort of back and forth, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, it's convenient, it's not convenient, your conscience is bothered, your conscience isn't bothered, you're sort of in and all over the place, I would challenge you this way, why? What is it behind your decision-making process that is causing you to doubt the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the reality of who he is? What is it that you're staking your faith claims on? And look at them and ask deeper and better questions uh, about those things. And if you're a Christian, continue to drive deeper in to the now therefore. Looking back into your life and going, look at the grace of God in your life. Look at how he has ministered to you. Look at the very fact that he would call you a son or a daughter. It should be the most humbling thing in the world. If the scriptures are true, and I believe they are, that it has absolutely nothing to do with us, that what I bring to the table is my deadness and sinfulness, and God looks at me and he says, even while you were yet dead in your sin and trespasses, I set my love on you and made you alive with my son. If that's the truth and the reality of it, then what do I owe God? What level of allegiance do I owe him? You've heard the old question. If Jesus is who he says that he is, and God is who he says that he is, and the word of God is what it says that it is, and I believe that all those are true, and he said to you, Bill, cut off your hand. What is the only reasonable response at that moment? How far up? Right? If the commander of the army, and you're an infantryman, and the commander of the army says, McCutcheon, take the hill, how do you respond? Well, you know, general, not sure that's the best hill to take. Is taking the hill really taking the hill? Or if I just go and look at the hill, is it okay? What about this? Can I go up the hill until there's some resistance and then stop there? Would that be all right? He would look at you and go, get up the hill. And he'd have a gun pointed at you most likely and say, now go up the hill. Should we think any less of the king of the universe? When we're talking to him and he says, give me your complete life. Oh, you don't mean complete, do you? I mean, I know complete has lots of nuances, so you can't surely be saying all of my life. You must mean most of my life and not the areas that are going to be inconvenient to me, right? We like to bargain with them. So my challenge is make sure this is a reasoned faith for you, that you don't drop your brain off as you walk into church, that you engage fully your mind and your heart, and that you take both of them collectively together and you look and you pursue and you reason it out. And what you will find is heart and mind coming together beautifully.
in that to convince you, hopefully, of the truth and the reality of the story of God written all around us and especially in His Word. So the first thing about this commitment uh, that we need to have is that it is a commitment that is reasoned. Ralph Davis, one of my professors and a biblical commentator, wrote this, the response demanded is always seen in light of the grace displayed. The response that God is demanding from us is always seen in light of the grace and the love and the mercy that he shows to us. He's not asking you to walk blindly into anything. So I hope this year for our church, I was glad to hear of Fritz who's studying God's word regularly. And that's not because it's important just to have a quiet time to say you had a quiet time. You know why it's important for you to regularly be in the study of God's word? So that it can continually strengthen you, bless you, invigorate you, and teach you and more profoundly remind you of the therefore. Ah, I was lost in my sins and trespasses, but God, but God, but God did this, but God did this. Oh, God, you just want my life? You got it. So the first thing about our commitments to Christ is they should be a reasoned commitment. Now, therefore... Paul does the same thing in Romans, by the way. I don't have time to go into it. But read Romans this way. Read the first. Now, remember, it was a letter. It didn't have chapters when he wrote it. But in the chapter version, go all the way up. Read 1 through 11 today and stop right there. Read it. Consider it for a moment. And then look at the words beginning in chapter 12. I appeal to you now, therefore, present by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul did the same thing. Paul said, do you see what God has done in Christ for you? Do you see the beauty of the redemption that he's given to us in him? Do you see the beauty of the gospel? Do you see what it cost him to love you? That it isn't just some mere sentimentality, but it is a deep and profound love. Now, in light of that, in light of the mercies of God towards you, now, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Quit crawling off the altar or terrified to get near it but live fully and unabashedly for him. You see, the argument constantly works its way out throughout the scriptures. You'll see it over and over and over again. What I am asking of you and challenging of you and what the Lord is asking and challenging of you is incredibly reasoned. It is thoughtful, and it needs you to take a considerate view of it today. Can we commit together to do that this year? As we end the year and begin the new one, that we consider things profoundly together. There's a great scene in um, Dances with Wolves. There's the young uh, warrior who is ready to go out and take on Kevin Costner's character and kill him. And he says, let's take all the warriors and, and let's go down and demolish him. And there's the wise chief who sits there. And he said, I think we should reason together a while longer. I hope for us that we will reason together a while. That we'll thoughtfully think through why we do everything that we do. And on the flip side, why we don't do other things. But we ask certain and better questions of one another. So first, the commitment to Christ is a reasoned commitment. The second is that a commitment to Christ is an exclusive commitment. It has cost inferred. It has, if you say yes to one thing, you have to be saying no to something else. And in a current generation, that makes absolutely no sense. Because in today's mindset and worldview, it is that you can say yes to all things and not be exclusive on any one thing. But there doesn't seem to be any conflict in that. But he says now, verse 14, now therefore, 
Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What Joshua is challenging us to do here is to serve God exclusively. To pick him and him only. And it makes sense. It, people go, gosh, that seems so narrow-minded. But that doesn't seem narrow-minded in other areas of life, right? If you're an Ohio State fan, who can you not be a fan of? Michigan. If you have seen the light and you are a North Carolina fan, who can you not be a fan of? Duke. Right. If you are a Clemson fan, who can you not be a fan of? South Carolina. So, you see, we do it in all these other areas of life. I met someone one time, and I said to her, she saw that I had a North Carolina sweater on or something. She said, oh, I like North Carolina. I was like, oh, you're a North Carolina fan. She goes, yeah, I like North Carolina and Duke. I was like, what? I was like, you're neither. You're not a Duke fan or a North Carolina fan, because those two things are mutually exclusive. I'm from the state of North Carolina, if you're wondering. And so, we have that in the areas of sports. What about in marketing? If you're an IBMer and a Windows person, what are you not? You're not a Mac person. And you don't get those two confused. You don't see people normally running between both operating systems. Ketchup. Heinz. Hunts. You got to pick. You got to choose. Ketchup or catsup. What's it going to be? I mean, there is no mingling these two things here. And so I'll bring it down a little, maybe a little more important. You come to my office and you're engaged and you want to get married. And you say, Bill, I want to get married. And one of the very first questions I'm going to ask you is, why do you want to get married? And normally people go, because I love this person. And I say, great. Do you understand the implications of what you're saying? Well, yes, I do. It means that I don't get to date as much. (laughs) How do you think that'll fly? Not well at all. We understand in marriage, or you should understand in marriage... We don't, sadly, in our day and age, that it's an exclusive commitment to another person to love that person exclusively. And that means, by the way, men and women, but men particularly, window shopping is still not allowed. I hate it when guys go, I'm just looking in window shopping. I'm not going to go buy. Play that one at home for me. As you're ogling the person walking down the beach in her little bikini, and she walks by, and you kind of look at her, and then you look back at your beautiful wife or your girlfriend or your fiancé, and she gives you the look, just look at her and try this one on for size. I'm just window shopping, honey. I ain't buying. Ladies, how does that work for you? Boy, I love this man, and I can't wait to go home and be with him today. It's exclusive. Because if you make a choice for one thing, what you are saying is you are making a choice against other things. Now again, in a day and age, when when that is interpreted as hate, when that is interpreted as narrow-mindedness or shallow thought, the scripture highlights it as the ultimate wisdom of saying you cannot waver between two poles. You cannot serve two poles gods. And what 
Joshua is actually challenging the people here. He says, I want you to serve Yahweh. I want you to serve God, the Lord God Almighty, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, the God of Christianity. I want you to serve that God. But if you're not going to serve him, look, here's the question. He's saying, you choose for yourself who you will serve. He's not saying, will you serve God or somebody else? He's saying, if you won't serve God and you've already determined that you won't serve him, Choose for yourself who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the old historic gods of Mesopotamia? Or are you going to serve the new fangled cultural gods of the Amorites? As one commentator, Matthew Henry, put it, you get to choose now between the gods of the dunghill. Which failed gods are you going to serve? Which failed political system are you going to serve? Which failed philosophy are you going to serve? Which failed worldview? Because it's either God over here in truth with all that that entails, or it's something else. But you've got to choose something. You've got to choose who you're for and who you're against in that. And we hate that. We like to leave our options open, right? We like to play one end towards the middle. We, we don't want to be seen as harsh. But what you need to know, all of you need to know, that a following of Jesus Christ is an exclusive following. And we should consider the costs of it. Consider the costs of it. That when we come, we need to understand that he is forcing us one way or another. And for some of you, why you're so worn out, why you're so tired and your conscience is so plagued, is that you'll walk over here with Jesus for a little while until maybe it gets hard or maybe you lose interest or it gets a little confusing or the group and the peer pressure happens and you move over here and you still want Jesus around, but you don't want him to invade much anymore. It's a difficult thing. It is a challenge to the exclusive claims of Christ. But what Christ is calling us to as individuals and as in a church is to say, I'm going to follow Christ exclusively. I'm going to pursue him alone in that and give him full commitment. I heard an illustration one time went something like this. As there was a pig and a hen who were walking uh, by an old country church. And they saw the message on the sign out front. And it said, how can we help the poor? And as pigs and hens are prone to do, they began a conversation about how is it that we can help the poor? And as they talked and debated, the hen piped up and said, I've got it. We should provide for the poor a ham and eggs breakfast. And the pig said, whoa, hold on there just a moment. That's only causing you to have a contribution, but a full commitment from me. Think about that one. (laughs) What we're calling for is not simply a contribution. What Christ is calling for is not simply a contribution. He's calling for an exclusive, full commitment of all that you are. That's what he wants. Now, with that, it should be a cautiously entered into commitment. It should be reasoned. It should be exclusive in your commitment, but you should come into it, not pursuing it lightly. That's what Joshua then takes up, and we'll finish up here in just a second. What Joshua says is in verse 19 and 20, the people said basically, he he laid out this beautiful thing, and the people went, okay, we're in. 
If you read the text, basically they regurgitated exactly what he had just said and went, and that's for us too. And he went, oh, wait a second. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Now, I'm not really good at church, and I'm not really good at evangelism, but I imagine if you've just got everybody in the congregation to raise their hands, however you want to do it, and say, we're for Jesus, what you normally do there is count. We had X amount of commitments. Look at what just happened in our church. And Joshua went, hold on. Before you raise your hands too quickly, consider again what you're doing. He basically, and what I want to challenge you with today is this. God isn't to be trifled with. He's not someone who you can pick and then let down and pick and set down. He's not someone you can just be with a little bit and then walk away. And as the scripture says, play the harlot. Consider if you were married or were married. Consider if you're in a deep relationship and committed relationship. That if you walked home this afternoon after being out. And you found your spouse entwined in the arms of another lover in your bedroom how would you respond oh sorry i'll come back later didn't know you were busy i've got lunch when you're done just come on out and we'll have lunch together the three of us would you or would you be absolutely devastated and so filled with anger And so filled with disdain that you were broken because the person that you had committed to had so lightly taken their commitments and were loving another lover right in front of you. That's what Joshua is saying. He said, be careful because commitment to God, commitment to Christ is a marriage that comes together. And so if you marry Christ, you cannot go have adulterous affairs with every other God that comes along. You can't just pick him up and lay him down at the frat party. You can't just pick him up and lay him down at the prom. You can't just pick him up and lay him down when no one else is around you. You can't just pick him up and lay him down when it's convenient. He is a jealous God. He's a God who wants all of you. And he does not take lightly our lightheartedness towards him and his commitments. Joshua all of a sudden just raises the bar, doesn't he? You can imagine, I would have sat there and gone, oh my goodness. Because he drives you back to the first point. Put your hands down. And consider a little more what this means. Jesus' ministry was cooking with gas. It was moving. People were following him. He was going. And in Luke 14, all of a sudden, he does this. Now, great crowds accompanied him. People were all around him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and it's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him and say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another? And basically he was saying this, before you jump into the crowd, consider the cost of what I'm saying to you. 
So that's the challenge for us today. What Hilton Head Island and Bluffton and the University of Vermont and Harvard uh, and USCB and Clemson uh, and South Carolina and College of Charleston and and the world around us, what they need are not a bunch of wishy-washy Christians promoting a wishy-washy faith. What they desperately need is a collective group of individuals who are basically saying, I have determined today that as for me and for my house, we're going to pursue Christ exclusively and we realize that that will have some implications. We realize that that may not be the most popular choice in the world, but we are committed to him because we have reasoned it in our mind. We have thought through it and we have seen the tapestry of his work and handiwork and we have said there is no other reasonable choice. And then we go together in that. And I'll end with this one thing. How many of you all already know? Let's say inside you're going, okay, I'm with you, Bill. I'm going. I'm gonna, I really would love to raise my hand, but I'm not about to right now because I know you'll get on me. But uh, if I would, I bet, but Bill, I already know deep down inside of me I'm going to fail. Anybody know that you're going to mess up in your following and commitment of Christ? So did Joshua. And it says that he set up a covenant between them. He basically said this. He did an Old Testament ceremony where where animals were split and they would walk through the blood and all of the thing. And it was grotesque and it was seemingly archaic and all of that. But it, it pictured something. He said, if you fail, God, this is what's going to happen to you. And you can imagine you would take very lightly whether or not you're going to step into that one. And so some of you today are taking very, you're going, woo, I'm not sure. Let me tell you something. God has entered into a covenant with you as well. And he basically said this, this is what I know about you. Though all your passions say you want to follow me, I know you're going to fail me. And that's why my son, Jesus Christ, came in the world to be the covenant one. To be the one he was split. His blood was shed. He died on a cross because he knew you would mess up. He knew you would fail. And in light of his great mercies, in light of his willingness to drink that cup, to take on all of my jealousy, to take on all of my wrath on your behalf, would you now pursue Christ? Would you now maybe, for the first time in your life, lay aside those other things that seem so important to you and pursue Christ? And it doesn't matter what age you are. I hope our little ones grow in their knowledge and passion for Christ, and our teenagers grow, and at all of our young adults, and all of us, whether with gray hair or no hair, or little ones born into this church, that we grow together in our passion for Christ, looking and saying this, I know you're going to mess up. And I know I'm going to mess up too. That's why Christ is here. To take even my best decisions with the most conviction that I have I'm still going to mess up and that's why I need Christ and do you see how that runs you right back to the beginning now therefore in light of the mercies that you've received in Christ commit to him today would you commit to him today in a real and meaningful way and live in such a way that the world around us says I know I don't know much about them but I know that they follow Jesus for what I see in them. Let's pray. God, what an incredible God you are. 
You didn't have to stay faithful to your promises, yet you did. You didn't have to make a way, yet you did in Christ for us. Would we see you as the true God, the maker of heaven and earth? Would we see you profoundly as our king and our savior? And would we run after you with reckless abandonment, pursue you in our lives and know that it's only in you that we find our very lives. We praise you today. To Christ be the glory. Amen.